0: Hey, what's going on? Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for some of the feedback I got on last show. I appreciated, I guess, the the Al Sharpton discussion and my dissatisfaction with donating to Skinny Preachers was somewhat of a hit. I laughed. It was spontaneous as most of those, I guess, colorful lines are on the show. That's why I have fun doing this. It's not a job. It's a hobby, I'd say. Um, lots of development since we last talked Monday. It's uh, it's always interesting to see we get down to a deadline here with one more day to the government shutdown because they won't have a won't it be a budget? There will be no funding if Congress doesn't act. We'll talk about the latest there and uh, what's happening between progressives and apparently non-progressive Democrats. There is such a thing. And I'm not just talking about the two senators, Cinema and Manchin, but apparently within the House of Representatives, which is held by a slim majority favoring Nancy Pelosi, there is some dissent on what to do next. So we'll get into the details. We'll talk about some of the hearings in Afghanistan going on on the Hill, which are not funny because of the subject matter, but it's funny to see these political hacks Posing as military leaders buckle under pressure. Uh, I enjoy it, and the p- finger-pointing is going on. It's of course all you know, distinguished gentleman type of talk. But you know, when you when you swear in and you're under oath, you're going to say a few different things than you do when you're asked by a press member uh, at a bullshit press conference like General Milley likes to hold. So we'll get into some details on that. Talk about the Virginia race I mentioned last time, and going to get into some um, discussions on last night's debate. Uh, there was a debate, and that election's not till November. I think I mentioned it was sooner than that on the last show, and I was off by only a month. Cut me some slack, I guess, but it's actually early November, November 2nd, I think. So there's some time, and it looks like Yunkin did pretty dang well in that debate, not seeing any clear winner or loser as far as commentary, but that doesn't matter because one side's always going to say the Republican one and the other's always going to say the Democrat one. But I'll, I'll cover one key point that... Um, Yunkin scored, and really McAuliffe, the punk Democrat, really scored it for Yunkin regarding schools. But jumping into the first issue, and something I am, I am very concerned about because it affects everyone, right? So many things I talk about typically may only affect one segment of people. I try to find things that affect a, you know, a larger audience. And when the global supply chain might collapse, that certainly affects everyone. I mean, that's everything being shipped to us, everything we use on a daily basis from gasoline to all the things that depend on gasoline and oil to move, to be made. And, you know, COVID is improving. Every time I check the cases, and I'll pop over to the website here in a second or maybe sometime during the show. But last I checked yesterday, we are still seeing a steady decline in the seven-day average of positive test you know, and I don't like to say cases because not every case is captured, but the positive test, you go to the CDC COVID tracker and you see all you know the, the major spike we had um, in the beginning of this year and from, from the beginning, from late January, early February, all the way you can watch. And we're on a steady decline, fortunately, but the lingering effects and the damage that not only COVID did, but terrible leadership from governments around the world, those effects... Are still being felt, and the you know the heroes, and I I don't throw that term around lightly. But the the strong people that persevered, working in various roles in the global supply chain, uh, are are under a lot of pressure and have been for a year and a half. Um, and so there's an article I did find it on CNN. It's from CNN Business, which is a much better source than what the Yahoos at CNN provide. But, you know, I'll quote this part here. Seafarers, truck drivers, and airline workers have endured quarantines, travel restrictions, and complex COVID vaccination and testing requirements. Now, it's interesting because people blame COVID, but everything referenced there. Quarantines, travel restrictions, complex COVID vaccination and testing. Those were not directly created by the pandemic. Those are all man-made, government-instituted Measures, mandates, restrictions, and that's what's so frustrating when people talk about COVID and how they like to blame Trump or blame a governor when there's very simple ways to look at this. One, it's China's fault, 100%, and most of the pain, almost all of the pain we feel now from, quote, COVID is really from COVID mandates. Now, that depends on what state you live in. I know people in more red states that don't wear a mask ever, and the only time they have a mask on or they have to wear one is during air travel and at the airport. But behind the scenes, and again, I mean, really behind the scenes are all of these workers around the world that are living on ships, literally, not just for the couple months or the month they're at sea, but now because of the bureaucracy of paranoid, poorly led governments, not just that in the United States, but around the world, including places like Japan, you have these poor people at sea for months at a time and not allowed off of a ship, even if they're vaccinated for some much needed shore leave. I mean, think about it. They are on a boat. And these people signed contract extensions that they weren't planning on signing when the pandemic hit. There, There's some real bravery and courage and how they stepped up. If you remember how we knew nothing about this virus, these these workers, from the truck drivers to those working on these ships to the loading docks, everything, they stayed at it. And yeah, they were paid, but imagine leaving your family in these uncertain times and hearing maybe that someone got sick if you work in the Philippines. And these merchant uh, vessels are popular places of employment for uh for Filipinos and your family member gets sick in a third world country and you find out about it, what, in an email? And you're out to sea thousands of miles away. I My hat's off to these folks. Well, now they're getting no break when they should be getting a break. It goes on. Global su- supply chains are beginning to buckle as two years worth of strain on transport workers take their toll. Now, this is from the UN General Assembly International Chamber of Shipping and there's some other industry groups along with them that warn a global transport system collapse may be looming. Now that, if that were to happen, I mean, we're already feeling strain. There are already upwards of 60 ships just waiting for an open dock out outside of the bay in Southern California, whether it be Long Beach, Port of Los Angeles, San Diego. That is where the majority of our ship goods come into the country and they're backed up. And then even when these ships are unloaded, I talked about this Monday, the crates, the containers that need to get on a truck and go to a train and make it to their final destinations, they're sitting there. Now I imagine because there are brilliant people, I know a few that have pretty powerful jobs running these these dock operations, these port operations, they're software and smart people prioritizing what gets shipped, right? Once something's unloaded, perishable items, that need to be cooled and immediately transported in a cooling environment or cooled environment, they're prioritized. So all these things are happening. If it's a dry good, if it's something that can handle sitting out in the sun inside a shipping container, it's going to be deprioritized. And that's what affects us. That's what we're seeing right now in grocery stores and all kinds. I mean, I have a vehicle part, a small, simple vehicle part, that a dealership service center normally has on the shelf, five, six, ten deep. And I have waited three weeks, three weeks for that part. The part costs like $65. But without it, I can't confidently drive my vehicle. Now, I'm not complaining. That's easy. I can make it. Think about the people that are suffering trying to get that part to me. And if they stop, if they reach a breaking point, And finally say, I'm not getting on this next trip. I'm not taking this next job because I don't want to be on a ship for months on end. It goes on. All transport sectors are also seeing a shortage of workers and expect more to leave as a result of the poor treatment millions have faced during the pandemic, putting the supply chain under greater threat. That's from that same UN group. They're just treated like crap. One, one ship went into Japan, as an example here, and the poor captain said, we can't, we can't get off the ship. There's no mechanism in place for them to approve anybody to get off the ship. And so the captain, when Karen Markle, or Corinne, K-A-R-Y-N-N, Markle, M-A-R-C-H-A-L, and her crew were told that they wouldn't be allowed to go on shore upon docking in Hokkaido, Japan, it was a big hit to morale, I would imagine. None of us knew how long it would go on for. She's the chief officer of a car-carrying ship that was docked in Japan. Unbelievable. And it was uh, this happened about eighteen months ago. But after weeks on board a ship, a couple of hours of shore onshore provides much-needed respite, she says. But seafarers can only leave a vessel in order to travel elsewhere, usually to return home. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now she considers herself lucky because she was able to make it home to the United States. But there are people who have been stuck at sea for over a year. Over a year at sea. While we thought we were going through a world of hell in our limited quarantines here in the United States, Karen Markle has crew members who I'm sure are near and dear to her. You spend time leading these people at sea. Merchant marine operations are no joke. It's a lot of work. It's a major, major safety operation, just keeping that boat, uh, not just afloat, but on, on point within where it needs to navigate, keeping everybody healthy. Then you add a pandemic. It says at the peak of the crisis in 2020, 400,000 400, seafarers were unable to leave their ships for routine changeovers. So this, they weren't even letting people who needed to be relieved for safety reasons get changed out. Some of them work for as long as 18 months beyond the end of their initial contracts. Unreal. Unbelievable. It's, it's all about what they talk about here is inconsistent requirements mean that some seafarers have been vaccinated multiple times because some countries have approved only certain vaccines. That is, is one example one of the greatest examples of the pathetic leadership and bureaucracy that governments will give you right now china only allows a chinese vaccine can you imagine if you're a crew member on one of these ships in the united states or anywhere where the pfizer moderna j and j or astrazeneca those are the top four off the top of my head vaccines are being administered so you go and maybe you work on one of these ships coming out of port in Long Beach and you got the Moderna vaccine. Well, if you're dropping anything off and you're expecting a changeover in Shanghai to get relieved and be able to fly home after a long week of sea, probably stopping at Hawaii, Japan, not being allowed off the ship, but then you get to China and you don't have a Chinese vaccine. When I heard about that a while ago, I figured, well, that's just China. China flexing. And it'll be interesting if China keeps that crap up because they're due to host the Olympics in just a few months. I think it's, I think what, it's a little earlier than our summer. They're hosting the Summer Olympics in Beijing in 2022. But it wasn't, that it, Japan, you name it. These ports have no idea what they're doing. They have no set way to give these people an opportunity to get off the ship safely. So they're be re- required to be vaccinated to get on the ship by the company like Maersk or whoever runs the shipping Um, operation and then they have to deal with entirely new and different requirements potentially depending on the port of harbor they're docking in. Unbelievable. This unequal distribution of vaccines globally means that only 25% to 30% of seafarers are fully vaccinated. So they go on to say that, that a lot of these, you know, a lot of these merchant Marines, these um, crew members are from countries that just don't have access to the vaccine. And that's irritating because for me, I feel that responsibility falls on the private companies employing these individuals. So it's not just that they're not vaccinated with the proper vaccination. A number of them aren't vaccinated at all. And so they're expected to go months and months, up to a year or more, living on a shipping vessel. And let's Come on, these are these aren't even decent motel room accommodations. And so the domino effect is people are breaking, they're wearing down. They're you know they they're finding other ways to make money surviving without having to go live in their own shipping container like cargo themselves with no opportunity to get off of a ship for months at a time they're not coming back. And then there's testing requirements. In February, Germany unilaterally induced mandatory PCR testing. That's the long one. With no exemption for truck drivers. Leading neighboring countries. So you're talking about a European trucker in Germany. Or truckers coming into Germany have to have a PCR test. This led to neighboring countries, including Italy, to impose similar restrictions to avoid having thousands of drivers stranded in their own territory. You have all, I mean, you're looking at the entire European continent. If one country arbitrarily institutes some kind of strict policy for someone that needs to drive a truck across multiple nations in Europe, then unless everybody gets on board, that driver is toast. So's the company needing him to ship goods, so are the companies needing to receive his or her goods. Unbelievable. This measure in Germany affected thousands of truck drivers, particularly on the Brenner Pass between Italy and Austria. Forcing these guys to queue, meaning line up and wait in sub-zero temperatures. Remember, this was back in February with no food or medical facilities. It, they're reaching their breaking point because the rich elitists running the show, we know it's all leftist liberals in Germany, pretty or in Europe pretty much. They can't get out of their own way because they're so invested in the power they have with COVID restrictions, they see no way out of it. They can't just let up and let these people work. Prioritize them to get vaccinated. If you're going to, rest- if you're going to impose anything, tell the companies that want to ship goods in your country to get the employees vaccinated. Hell, your United States is doing it to hospital workers. Anybody that can get their hands on every federal worker. Look at what's happening in New York. They don't know what's going on. They're, they're not sure how many people are going to stop showing up to work in hospitals. You got the governor trying to have the National Guard backfill hospital workers in the state of New York. And now we've got COVID lunacy, cult COVID lunacy, potentially affecting our lives worse than the virus did. That's the craziness here, is this isn't really virus related. This is now the creation of new powers and leaders drunk on that power and unable unable to provide any relief and give up that power. And then you add bureaucracy and trying to get two different, three different, or God forbid, five or six different governments to align and work together. I don't care what the issue is, whether it's COVID, whether it's driver's licenses. I mean, my gosh, that's, you're asking too much. These losers can't handle it. So we got that going for us. Global supply chain. More and more supplies are going to have more difficulty getting here because of our liberal friends and their irrational fear of what's becoming an extremely manageable virus, unless you're super unhealthy and you have pre-existing conditions, which I'm sorry, a lot of viruses will mess with you pretty bad. Believe me, I don't want COVID, but there is no excuse for what we've endured, not at the hands of the virus, but of the people in charge since this, since this began. And if you're in states like California, Oregon, What you've had to endure is embarrassing, and I'm sorry for you. But then you think about, as bad as it can be, think about these poor people stuck on vessels, driving trucks, unable to get to their families, unable to get relief, and in this case in Germany and around Europe, unable to eat and freezing their asses off months ago because the paperwork wouldn't line up, and they couldn't get supplies. I mean, how much waste, too, in supplies caused by this? Disgusting. Let's move on to the the hearings on the Afghanistan. Extraordinary success, as the Biden administration referred to it. Unbelievable. So today, it looks like it wasn't just Milley. Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, also testified. And I'm not going to get into too many details there. But when asked about how things went in in discussing the timing of evacuations, which was terrible. Lloyd Austin says it was a State Department call. (laughs) So he's bus tossing the Secretary of State, was it Blinken, who's had some rough, rough hearings. He's the one that did it via televideo or video conference, his first one when he was right down the street. He got called out for that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And this is is the interesting thing, because you watch these guys, now they're under oath. So they're being pressed by senators like Hawley. They're getting hammered. And they're going to have to, they're going before the House now too. And it's not going to be easy for them because they're under oath. So it's a lot different than answering questions from the press, a lot tougher. And it's amazing. If you hear Millie you know, Dan Bongino caught this. He's a contributor at Fox News. He's got his own radio show. I really like the guy, former law enforcement. He used to be Secret Service, actually. He pointed out yesterday when Millie, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was meandering his way through his testimony. In the beginning, he was talking about referencing decisions made that led to bad things happening, and he was only advisor, which he is. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has no command authority. That was changed in the 90s. But And he is an advisor. But at other points in his testimony, he talked about his direct command authority. So he's all over the place. And the funny part, that's the real big news I didn't mention yet, is that Milley and others, I'm not sure if Austin said it, but Milley said, and he's not the only one, that he recommended to President Biden that we leave 2,500 troops behind. And Biden, in an interview with George Stephanopoulos back in June, I believe, said he absolutely did not hear that, that no one told him that. Now, he did add that I recall. If Joe Biden says that I recall after saying he did or didn't hear anything, that can cover a lot (laughs) because he could deny hearing anything that he recalls because I don't think he's capable of recalling anything or much at all. But it's interesting because Biden who pulled everybody out before making sure civilians, American civilians and those who helped us before making sure they were out safely, Biden ordered his military advised by Milley to pull everyone out. Now Milley is saying that he recommended that 2,500 troops behind cover your ass much, dude. You go back to the last time Biden was pressed for that. He said, "Uh, no one told me that, that I recall. Interesting. I think Biden's bullshitting. I think he knows enough to know that he was probably told that. And he said, I don't want anybody there. I want all American troops because I want to be able to say that on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, that no more Americans are there, that Afghanistan is peaceful, that we handed it over to the Afghan army. And I am fantastic. And Biden needed that political boost. And boy, did it backfire. I think saying it backfired is the understatement of the year and probably 2020 for a long time. It backfired in the most horrible way. And now Milley's denying that he supported it and saying he should leave 25. We should have left 2,500 troops behind. That's incredible. You got Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, blaming the State Department for the chaotic evacuations in Afghanistan. What you're seeing is an investigation, not into one specific event, not into one specific botched operation that not only is still ongoing, that killed innocent people in a botched drone strike. What we're really seeing is an investigation and a hearing on what poor leadership looks like or what no leadership, a lack of leadership, looks like. And once you start dissecting into an organization, whether it's the military, the White House, the Pentagon, or all of them, once you start putting the light of day on these organizations and you start looking at who's in charge and who made decisions, you will not see anybody take responsibility. This is what the swamp is. These are all swamp monsters. This is what came back with Biden. And I, I can tell you right now, Trump had no idea how much swamp remained after he was inaugurated. He had too many holdovers. And they're still there in the CIA, in the FBI, the DOJ, in the Pentagon. These bloated military guys who can barely fit into their uniforms, paper pushers like Milley who never served in combat, they're not leaders. They're politicians. And because of that, they're cowards. And now they're under pressure and now they're pointing fingers. They don't want to take responsibility. Millie's response to being asked to resign is even more disgusting because he talks about it as being some kind of something you don't do in the military because it's against his duty. He went down that road when really, dude, you could just retire. You step down, right? Maybe you don't resign. You stop making decisions because you're a total screw-up, because a horrible thing, a number of horrible things happened under your wa- under your watch. They continue to, and maybe some of them aren't your fault, but you're in charge, and the phrase, the buck stops here, has to apply. It can't apply on Monday and not apply on Tuesday. It either applies universally or it doesn't, and we know it does. That's what leadership is. It happened under your watch, And the way it works in D.C. is if you serve at the privilege and the luxury of the president, at his wishes, then typically for something like this, Afghanistan and people still being stuck there and all of the things that happen due to that terrible evacuation, what turned into a retreat, you step down. You are the one that falls on the sword. It happens. It's happened to some good people in D.C., I'm not saying Millie's one of them. I don't. I don't see a lot of good from him. They pressed him on his itinerary on Monday or was yesterday. He's been testifying all week. And it's great because they have his schedule. This guy's daily schedule, his outlook calendar, is full of press interviews and book interviews. It was a real funny yes or no. I think that one came from Holly. Josh Holly. Senator from Missouri off the top of my head. I know he's a senator. Good guy, big Trump guy, conservative. Holly was all over him. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, will make plenty of time for interviews. This guy is all about the books he's in right now and the books he will write. He's got the James Comey plan. You can be a total loser, but someone will publish your book because the leftists will buy it. They love these stories. They love that Milley's a hero. And he's still under pressure. He's still under pressure for what he did with China. This is just 13 minutes ago. I'm watching the updates. Millie confirms he told China he would call ahead of US attack. Claims Esper ordered calls based on intel. Let's look at this together. I haven't looked at this yet. Milley says there was significant intel that China thought the US would attack. Right away, this is typical Washington BS because you'll never be able to find where that actual intel came from it will be some unnamed source and they make it up all the time significant intel that China thought the US attack, would attack what a bunch of crap let's go back to January i couldn't i looked at this there, there were no reports of chinese troop movements fleet movements of them in strengthening their borders, changing anything, anywhere, nothing. When that three-hour riot was going on in D.C., where people are still in jail with no charges coming anytime soon, more extensions from the court. But China was supposedly worried we were going to attack, but didn't move any troops, didn't prepare for it. Oh, wait, was it because Millie called and put them at ease? This guy's incredible. Milley addressed allegations that he held secret calls with the Chinese with his Chinese counterpart, General Lee of the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, October 2020, and days after the Capitol riot. Remember, Milley had this conversation not only after the Capitol riot but also in October, which really crushes his excuse in my in my eyes that it was a reaction or any legitimate fear that Trump was going to do anything. And this is all part of the book Peril, which was co-authored between two guys, Bob Woodward and Robert Acosta. Millie's face calls to resign, really direct ones in these hearings, which are great. Now on Wednesday, this is this morning, during a heated hearing, this is now the House. So the Senate had two days, Monday and Tuesday. They started last week too. Now the House Armed Services Committee is going after these guys. And they focused on the US military withdrawal in Afghanistan. So Millie's had a hell of a week. He's not getting to do the interviews he wants to do at all. This guy wants to this guy wants press interviews. He does not want to be tied up with the people's business and, and having to attend hearings in DC. But he goes on to say and this is why Millie, this is when I'm yeah, it was Millie, not Lloyd. What I'm trying to do is persuade an adversary that's heavily armed that was clearly and unambiguously according to intelligence reports, very nervous about our behavior. Come on. I think it's crap. These guys, whether they're the head of the CIA, FBI, military, the Pentagon, these guys can just fall back on random, unsubstantiated. Now, he'll say it's substantiated, but well, there's no way anyone can ever verify these intel reports that China was scared yet scared china didn't move any troops didn't reposition its fleet there was no general traffic over any major intel communique any anything going on that indicated they were worried because if china's worried if we're worried we move our troops we move our fleets it's a message it's not hostile even though like people like north korea say it's hostile it's not it's a message it's a response but really more a message saying, hey, we're worried about something. We don't like what you said, China, about Taiwan. We'll reposition our Pacific fleet. We might take a few more flight sorties, a little wider than we normally do. That's it, right? That's it. But Millie's trying to say he was acting in our best interest. This guy is a leftist, Massachusetts-born political honk. And if you still think they do not exist in the military, you're like 30 years behind. I can tell you from my experience, they're still there. They've been there. I learned from them. They're academic, leftist, extreme liberals. They look at the military as a grand social experiment. Yeah, they'll tell you they love their country. They do love our country, but they only love it when it's the way it is for them. And they want to change it. They are progressives. But there's nothing, there's no progress in what they want to do. They want to degress, right? They they don't want us, they're not worried about combat readiness, they're not worried about killing the enemy, as I've spoken about before, right? They're globalists. So a guy like Millie, who's a globalist, doesn't think anything of calling our biggest rivals top general and tipping them off. I'm sorry, but it's not your job. And now he said. As I mentioned and I'm again I got I looked at this news drop here live like it's an actual show I don't know when you're going to be listening to this but again it's it's Wednesday the 29th Millie's testifying now this is now here we go So secretary yeah wait 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 wait, wait. there we go and it was concerning to the point where Secretary of Defense Esper myself along with others had conversations about it and was directed by then secretary then sec so remember esper i think it's mark but under the trump administration and i don't know if this is october or january when Millie's referencing this i don't care but Millie explained it wasn't just a singular report he's talking about the intel there was a lot it was significant that china was worried there was a lot what's a lot two reports unbelievable. Now, of course, he added, I would never tip off any enemy to any kind of surprise that we were going to do. Well, what about tipping him off on something we're not going to do? You only covered half of it, you moron. You told them what we weren't going to do. That can be just as bad. Unless you're part of some double intel operation, and we're going to attack, and you call them and say, we're not going to attack. That's not something you'd probably be down with, globalist, But he went on, and it was concerning to the point where Secretary of Defense Esper, Admiral Davidson, and myself, along with others, so a couple of the Joint Chiefs, the then Secretary of Defense Esper, along with others, had conversations about it. And I was directed by then Secretary of Defense Esper, Milley said. First, he directed his Assistant Secretary of Defense of Asia Pacific Affairs, that's Admiral Davidson, to make calls and then me. This is all done with oversight and I tried to lay out lay that out in the memoranda. Well, what's with Esper doing that? So Millie just passed it on to somebody else. The buck doesn't stop with him. His former boss, right? He now works for Lloyd Austin, the Biden appointee. But Mark Esper, who I believe was an interim because he replaced that Marine General that turned out to be pretty damn liberal. So Esper's sitting there and he thinks that someone should tell start calling China you need to let the president of the United States know. You need to. You need to tell them, hey, we're gonna call China. We're gonna start having conversations with China about what's going on. And the then president of the United States, Donald Trump, would have been like, piss off. No need to call them. Let them worry. Let them worry. But this is this is all protected communication. And if if Milley hadn't done things similar before then I wouldn't be so suspect. But this is the guy that wants to focus on white nationalism, white rage, all this crap, right? All these things that are not important to the military, that are not major issues. Racism within the ranks. Yeah, there are racists in the military. It's not some pervasive virus. Same as it's not a pervasive virus in this country. But because our country wants to be more liberal, according to the left, they want to take it so far left, it's on the other side it's communist. These generals are the same. They went to the same schools. They learned the same things. It's embarrassing. So we'll see where these hearings go. Typically nowhere. Typically nowhere. These arrogant people who made numerous mistakes. Take the China thing out. For Afghanistan alone, Milley should be gone. Austin should be gone. They should be replaced. Absolutely. And I'm surprised maybe I'm not, that the Biden administration hasn't calculated that that might help him politically to to shit can one of these guys, to fire him. But again, it's easy to be a liberal because you're never held accountable. You just really aren't. And if you are, you're protected. I mean, Cuomo's not going to jail for making decisions that led to the deaths of thousands in nursing homes and otherwise. You're not going to jail. Unbelievable. I want to switch real quick I want to get to some of the developments regarding election fraud. I'm I'm not interested right now in the state of affairs with the Austin forensic audit. I've talked about it for the last week. It's a he said, she said thing. There are some suspicious doings with regard to file deletions and some of the, um, I would say, gathering of information that was court ordered for the forensic audit. But to date, there's nothing that shows definitively that the totals were altered by computer, by voting machine. Now they're talking about, they're looking more into multiple registrations, vote votes that don't have a voter associated with it. I've seen a number of data experts refute it pretty simply. It's heavy stuff. You have to be a and unfortunately, our voting system is not that simple. It's just not. When you get into registrations, And the different types of ways you can vote, it can get pretty complex. But I will report something regarding the forensic audit in Arizona if it is conclusive in any way. And it's still ongoing. Now, there is something interesting that happened in Georgia. And, they, you know, the right-wing sites will say it's a huge development. I do think it is a development. So they're calling it, like I said, a development. They caught 24 criminal operatives, they're claiming. Again, Gateway Pundit. Not saying the information's not good, but they like to sensationalize it a little bit. And I don't like to sensationalize things unless they are truly sensational. But they said they caught operatives on video stuffing Dropbox with 1,900 ballots in two days, or in three days. Now, why am I talking about this in detail and not the Arizona Forensic Audit? My belief, based on what I've read going back to when I started the podcast a year ago, before taking a break, when I was running this during the whole election crap, I believe the cheating in the operation in the gray area where the Democrats live within with regard to elections is in the actual ballots, not votes, right? That's why they say count every ballot. Or when they say count every vote, they're not talking about a voter. They don't care, right? Ballot stuffing has been around since Kennedy won by cheating in Chicago, right? This is nothing new. Democrats then, Democrats now. And so I like this because It's simple to follow and there's seems to be evidence there's enough to warrant further investigation. Let's talk about it. In Georgia, 1900 ballots were counted from a single Zuckerberg drop box over one weekend. I have no idea what the hell that is. Like Mark Zuckerberg over one weekend. But surveillance shows only 24 people dropping off all of these ballots. I want to know where the surveillance came from. They're like, I mean, there should be some kind of closed circuit, some kind of secure camera observing a ballot box for security purposes, that's 75 ballots per operative. It doesn't make sense. If this is true, right, and my question and its answer is, what is the normal rate of voting at this ballot box? So there's a representative, Jack Kingston, who used to be a Congress out of Georgia he talks about, he's looking into this, and we know a lot of crap went on in Georgia. Georgia never made sense to me. Trump losing in Georgia still doesn't make sense. And we go back to what happened in Fulton County. It is shady. Late night ballot drops, all those things. That's election night. We're talking about a ballot box, these drop-off ballot box, which the Democrats love, which are now permanently going to be a part of elections in states like California. This is how they're going to win, because there's no chain of custody, right, right? Cameras don't work. Cameras break. Hell, those ladies in Detroit at that counting center the day after the election, early in the morning, ran ballots without observers being present. Started at one in the morning. They don't care if they're on camera. Nothing ever came of that. Nothing. But this is the ballot harvesting, right? Now, what these operatives can do is they can come back and they can say, hey, we just grabbed those. We, we took those four people. Even if that's true, and it's probably not, this is a serious chain of custody problem. You should not have individuals carrying dozens, hundreds. There's no way to know if each of these people carried 75, 750, whatever, 17. One person could have carried 300. They don't know. All they know is only twenty-four. 24 people came and according to this accusation, 1,900 ballots were counted from that box. This needs to be looked into more. You never know where there ballots that weren't picked up the day before or the weekend before, but it's way out of the norm based on the rate, the typical rate of ballots dropped off at that particular box, right? And this isn't the only one. This Representative Kingston talks about knowing of one drop box in Georgia that's being looked at, it averaged 6,000 ballots a day, but over Columbus weekend, a three-day weekend, 19,000 votes were counted, okay? But only 24 people went to the drop box. That, that does need to be looked into, and I hope they do, because I think this is where some of the smoke from the smoking gun is, maybe all of it, is in just a new, more creative way, ballot harvesting, a new, more creative way of stuffing the ballot box, and here's the thing. Many of these might actually be voters' votes. But how are they collected? How are they secured? If the ballot's being picked up and filled out by someone else, that's illegal. But I get it. You're Hey, I got a ballot. You live in an apartment complex with somebody. You go on, can you drop this off more? If you trust the person, and I mean, they're not a liberal and you don't disagree with them, you can count on them taking your vote. But I wouldn't. It's my vote. I'm going to drop it off myself. I prefer early voting in person. I think it's the greatest thing. I did it a week and a half before the election. I waited a total of seven minutes. Middle of the day. No problems. Um, And we'll see. Gateway Pundit and everybody on the right, the right-wing media, which I follow most of what they say, they want criminal charges to be taken against these people. You're going to tell me Who's some probably Democrat district attorney is going to start trying to identify the individuals who dropped these ballots. The people that do this, the ones that were participating in illegal activity and knew it, they also know they're going to get away with it. They're totally protected because the moment you go after them, the press will paint you as somebody who wants to disenfranchise voters. They'll say those are votes. Those are legal votes. They never have to prove otherwise. It's it's ridiculous Think about how close these elections were. Of those 1900 ballots that went in there in 3 days, just that one box. I mean, let's say 10%, 20% were illegal. Right? So 20% it's 380. That's off the top of my head. Damn right. 380, let me check that. 190 10%. Yeah. Yeah, 380, right? Yeah. 380 ballots were bad. Fraudulent. Right? Ballots collected filled out by somebody else. Ballots came from God knows where. That's just one box. How many boxes are in the state of Georgia? Even more important, how many are in these cities with heavy Democrat operatives and heavy Democrat uh, presence? We've, we've read stories, seen the pictures of people arrested with a thousand ballots unmarked. What do you think they were going to do with them? Deliver them to people and say, hey, here's your ballot. Make sure you vote. No. They don't care. They know better than us. This is a service in their eyes. Doing these things, stuffing ballots, is something they're doing for us. That's how warped their mind is. It's not a crime in their mind. They don't care if it's illegal because they're helping us. They know better than us. If we're not voting for a Democrat in Fulton County, we're racist, even if you're black. Remember, the new face of white supremacy in California is one Larry Elder. So, let's see if this goes anywhere. It's probably going to be like the forensic audit investigation and they'll come out with some serious allegations that can't go anywhere. That's the built-in protection with all of this is that it can't go anywhere because of identity issues, because no one will take up the investigation, right? They don't, they don't care. Um, when I say they, I'm talking about district attorneys, Democrats, even Republicans, who are in charge of these counties and in charge of these elections, they don't want to be looked at. They don't want to lose their jobs. So the chance there's illegality in someone getting caught, this was the case in Arizona. You have conservatives on their board of supervisors that didn't want to touch this. And now, even with some questions coming out of the forensic audit, they want to walk away from it. They want to put it to bed. And they're going to succeed in that. It's not going to be difficult. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes. I'm going to stay with Gateway Pundit for a moment. I do like Carrie Lake. She's running for the Republican nomination for governor of the state of Arizona against the Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. I don't know where Lake's going to stand. She's not a a career politician. She's apparently a former news anchor person, very attractive woman, very uh, sharp, well-spoken. She was on Steve Bannon's War Room, the Steve Bannon from the Trump era, I like Steve well enough, but he is definitely Alex Jonesy at times. I watch his show once in a while, but I don't like to report what he says as news until I corroborate it with at least two other independent sources. So Carrie Lake, who was endorsed by Trump, I'm only talking about her because she was endorsed by Trump. Being on Steve Bannon's show is not enough for me. I'm not saying he does a bad job he is going to go right. Even if the story only leans 1% right, he's going to take that hard right without really looking at any evidence. And so Carrie Lake is definitely of the Steve Bannon background. She said that she, she inferred that Katie Hobbs, the current secretary of state who was overseeing the Arizona election back in November, she says it's going to be really hard for her to run a campaign. This is a primary. Katie Hobbs is Republican right? She works for the Republican governor in Arizona who's not running anymore. Um, But she said, Carrie Lake said, uh, Hobbs is going to have a hard time running a campaign from behind bars. I mean, Steve Bannon, he laughed at it. He said, that's very Trumpian and it is, but let's be real. One, Carrie, you're not Donald Trump. So you don't get to be that Trumpian. And two, she knows, I know, everybody and their mom and their dog knows, the current secretary of state, Katie Hobbs of Arizona is not going to go to prison let alone be investigated for anything that comes out of this forensic audit. It's not going to happen, even if they find something concrete, right? It's not going to happen. They're not going to decertify anything. That election is over. The Democrats knew that time would be on their side. They knew that if anything was found, it was worth the risk because Orange Man is bad, and that if anything was found or there were allegations, which there were 5,000 and up from people w- willing to write sworn s- statements, under oath doesn't matter they knew that it would take forever and that the press would help them destroy those people but i wanted to cover it Carrie lake k-a-r-i lake is running for governor the republican nomination in arizona i'd love for her to win um arizona's weird arizona is weird and i don't think when you look at john chain john and q and jane q average voter in arizona or any state the milk toast moderates there are still a few I don't know if this ongoing forensic audit is going to help Republicans in Arizona. I don't. It it won't if they don't land something big and it doesn't look like they're going to. So the media will be able to paint it as the big lie. That's what CNN and the left call it. It's just part of the big lie. So the longer this Arizona screaming about Maricopa County lingers, the more the press out there and on the West Coast can paint it as a bunch of bullshit. Right? As painted as a big lie, as something that is a waste of time, and it costs millions of dollars. So, Carrie Lake and any Republican running for office in Arizona, let's say she gets the nomination to run for governor. I mean, I don't care who gets it. Katie Hobbs, if she gets it, I hope she wins. But if she gets the nomination, Carrie Lake, she's going to go up against any opponent from the left that's going to come out and say, Look, all the money you wasted. They never found anything. And no one in the middle or certainly on the left is going to listen to anything other than that narrative. So I want it to stop. I I think the Maricopa County audit, they found things. It should be investigated. They need to stop protesting. They need to stop making noise. They need to focus on the midterms and these governor races like what's coming up in Virginia and like next year in Arizona. So let's shift gears to Virginia. McAuliffe and Youngkin had their debate. I saw clips of it. Yunkin's very sharp. McAuliffe is very cliche Democrat. This guy goes way back to the Clinton era. He was chairman of the Democratic Party. He's just, uh, I mean, he's a flaming liberal to use that term. And he is everything I despise about the American left. He's a globalist. He's major pro-abortion, major everything progressive, if you want to use the term the way they do. Uh, they had a third party candidate actually have to get escorted out by security. Uh, Chuck Todd, liberal from NBC, was moderating. Didn't see him get too involved. I hope that was the case the entire time. It's not about him. It's about the two candidates. Um, They sparred. COVID came up. COVID restrictions are definitely an issue where Republicans should win on that issue, at least in these elections. Virginia is a very divided state, very liberal in the north. Last poll showed the Democrat McAuliffe having a 58% support lead in that area, Yunkin's got a chip away there. Some say Trump's endorsement of him won't won't help him. They've said that before about these candidates. I can tell you without Trump's endorsement, Yunkin doesn't have a chance. So he has no choice. And he should embrace it. We should embrace Donald Trump and his coattails until the Democrats prove otherwise. And lately Republicans have trended well in state and local elections. This year I talked about it on a show last week. So don't change the game. Don't turn on Trump. I don't think Republicans want to vote for a candidate that is not endorsed by Trump or certainly anti-Trump. And Youngkin is endorsed and pro-Trump. At least that's what he says. Now, schools came up. COVID has made it very visible to many. Those of us who have had teachers in the family in California who have had to deal with teachers' unions know how bad they are, know how disgusting they are, know how bad teachers can be, but the unions are the worst and they have a lot of power. And COVID exposed a lot of the power that they enjoy. And schools and COVID restrictions came up. And it's very interesting because not only did he say it once, but McAuliffe doubled down in the debate in saying that basically And then he'd get hammered for this. So this is the takeaway. This is what you don't want to do in a debate. Whether you win or lose, whether the pundits say you win or lose, you don't want to give some kind of red meat line to the opponent for the press to run with. Now, again, as a Democrat, you're going to be covered more so than Republican. If you remember Mitt Romney, binders of women really hurt him. They talked about him not having enough women in his campaign or on his staff or whatever when he was governor. And he talked about we had plenty of women candidates, binders of women. It didn't sound as lame to me as people thought it did, I guess. But it became a major issue. Books of women and, of course, the feminists who couldn't stand him anyway. And he became a rhino. But they ran with it. Well, McAuliffe had one of those moments. And um, Twitter blasted him. And it's interesting. He said, in the debate, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. (laughs) I'm sorry. Public schools are run by taxpayer dollars. Private schools are run by direct by the family's dollars. Either way, whatever school your kids go to, the parents should certainly have a say. But here's Terry McAuliffe saying, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. This at the same time, there's something going on in the backdrop. Apparently, there's like porn like material been found in a school in Fairfax, Virginia, and parents are flipping out about it. So Terry comes out and says he doesn't think parents should have a say. This is one of those things that could turn some voters with COVID restrictions going on, with the draconian practices of blue states, which Virginia is right now, uh, there are some people that are looking for a change that want to get back to a normal life that people in red states are enjoying. These people got the vaccine. They're willing to wear a mask, some of them, but they're getting tired of what's happening in schools and their kids suffering for it. And a lot of them are getting their kids vaccinated, and it's not doing them any good. But Republicans and some Democrats Tweeting things like parents are in control. they are in control of their kids, not at Terry McAuliffe. Never. Make sure every parent in Virginia hears this before they vote. Yeah, Stephen Miller of the Trump campaign. We want every parent in Virginia to see that your potential governor, a guy who was governor for four years from 2014 to 2018, thinks that you should not have a say in what your kids are taught. Um, Terry McAuliffe, this is a good one, is pro-choice unless the decision belongs to the parents of a school-aged kid replies Autumn Johnson, who's a blue checker. She's she's Twitter verified, not sure who she is. But that's a big one. And there's a good, what, six weeks, five and a half weeks until the election in early November in Virginia. That's enough time for the Republican Party to put some money, Donald Trump too, behind ads, letting parents know what Terry McAuliffe thinks about what they should be involved in and what they shouldn't be involved in with their kids' schools. That's a big one. Right now, according to the Real Clear Politics average, the election favors McAuliffe, the Democrat, but it's within the margin of error of three points. That's great. And there's more time. I'm glad I was wrong. I thought the election was like in two weeks or next week. It's tightening, it's trending towards Youngkin, the Republican, and it's close. That is not good for the Democrats with this flop with this gaffe last night about McAuliffe saying parents shouldn't have a choice in what's taught in their kids' schools is going to help Yunkin. It could be what's needed. And there's no more debates. I think that's a good thing. I think it's good to end it on that. And I don't think Chuck Todd could have helped him. I'll, I'll be curious to watch this later. But we hope that this one is a, a big stinger for Terry McAuliffe. Quick update on the budget reconciliation uh, debacle that's going on right now, and the government is a little over 24 hours away from not being funded for the fiscal year 2022. Um, what's happening is you have Democrats divided within the party and the progressives, and I've, I've, I'm i understanding, I mis-turned reconciliation the other night. Reconciliation is what the Democrats have added for, wanted for a while since they've had the majority. They want to torpedo the filibuster parliamentary protection that the minority party can have as long as they have, as long as the party in power has less than 60 votes. You have 60 votes. You can pass anything you want. You can amend anything you want. Um, but for what the Democrats want to do procedurally, they can't right now do the infrastructure and massive, massive $3.5 trillion budget together without this reconciliation, uh, provision making it so all they need is a majority but they got to get mansion and cinema on board with the reconciliation now what's happening right now is republicans and democrats are coming together to put together something in the 1.5 trillion dollar range to cover the infrastructure and to get a bill passed so the government's funded the super duper leftist progressives are all worried now about their climate agenda that's attached to the big massive spending bill and they're worried if a compromise is reached in the short term, that their climate psychosis is not going to make it and not going to be a priority because they won't have it attached to one big giant bill. They don't want people looking at it in too much detail. Well, the problem they have, they got two, Manchin and Cinema. Manchin being from West Virginia, a big coal producing state, is not down with heavy progressive climate legislation. And nobody, what's fun about cinema is she's making the Democrats mad because no one really knows where she stands. She met with Biden yesterday, had another meeting scheduled for today, some negotiation. Apparently Biden is involved, which is hilarious. I don't know what he's saying in these meetings. He's like, just say, come on, man, a lot. Like, come on, do what we need you to do. Or come on, woman. What is he doing in these negotiations? Apparently he was going to go to Chicago this morning or last night, but he canceled that trip to try to help out I think it's great because I don't want this to pass. I think the more Biden's involved, the better it is for my side. He can't help anything. He makes everything worse. He has no zero successes as president of the United States. And frankly, I don't think he has one as an elected official. This is the guy that didn't want to take out Osama bin Laden. Now he's helping out. I think Pelosi and a lot of the Democrats secretly wish he did go to Chicago by himself. But Kristen Cinema, the senator, definitely a moderate from arizona is throwing a wrinkle in this too and i'm i'm watching the breaking news i have it up here let me refresh because this is moment to moment the news gets worse and worse for the progressive left as time goes on and right now there's nothing new that i'm seeing um that says they've gotten any closer to a deal that allows for a safe vote for the big giant over four trillion dollar package that includes reconciliation so we'll see, I'm cheering against it. It's too expensive. Nobody, even even I mean the moderate Democrats that I've heard interviewed are concerned with how we're going to pay for it. Now they want tax cuts. they want to get out for the wealthy a little bit. That's not enough for the progressives. This is how far left the Democrats have gone. They got the AOC leftist, liberal bartender brain wanting, basically what was it? that green the green New Deal. That's what this will all be, just by a different name. Build back better. Give me a break. Not going to happen. Um, I hope Manchin holds out. Um, Manchin's going to run again, it sounds like, which is good. If he wasn't, I'd be worried. If he wasn't worried about a reelection in a state like West Virginia, he might just buckle. Uh, Bernie Sanders is nowhere involved that anyone can say. This was supposed to be his brainchild. I find that very interesting. I don't know if they do internal polling. The Democrats and the Republicans do that, they don't share it. Maybe Bernie's polling very poorly. And they don't want him to be the face of this. I think people are tired. And I think a lot of people, even Democrats, who don't want to be socialists label Bernie Sanders as a socialist. He's nowhere to be found. You don't see the squad involved in this either. So it's Pelosi just trying to ram it through and all these Democrats trying to put pressure on Manchin and Cinema in the Senate to say, OK, House, if you pass this giant bill, we will support it in the Senate. We will vote to torpedo the filibuster and we will ram it through for Biden's signature. The word on the Hill for Democrats is we got to give Biden a win. Biden knows it. They know it. They need something, something he can say is a success because he has nothing. COVID vaccination slowed down. All the things he said he was going to do, they have not been done. So we'll watch it. Um, Last thing I want to talk about is ABC had an interview with Obama. And Obama and the border has always been an interesting issue because Obama, his administration deported a ton of people. In the eight years he was president, he was like deporter in chief by nickname. And ABC interviewed him about the current crisis, which is going to get worse. Thousands more are waiting to come from Haiti. They're on their way. And thousands have already been let into the country with this stupid promise, according to Jen Psaki, that it won't be long. And she was referring to people that'll be here up to two years. So they're just letting them in when they can. Well, Obama had an interview with ABC a couple of days ago, Good Morning America. And he said, open borders are unsustainable. Interesting. He said, what's happening right now is unsustainable on the southern border. Good Morning America chose not to include that in the interview. Part of the admitted portion, he also said, immigration is tough. It always has been because, on the other hand, I think we are naturally a people that wants to help others. And we see tragedy and hardship in families that are desperately trying to get here so their kids are safe. And they're in some cases fleeing violence or catastrophe. But he said, at the same time, we're a nation state. We have borders. The idea that we can just have an open border is something that, as a practical matter, is unsustainable. Yeah, that part wasn't included in the interview. I always I always find that amazing and interesting. Newsbusters is all over that. You should follow them on social media. Totally deliberate. Totally a nod to help Biden out because Biden wants to be Obama Jr. He can't have Obama out there saying anything negative about what's going on or anything negative about Biden's and his administration's poor leadership. So, um, of course he did, they did air some parts where Obama slammed Republicans for not passing comprehensive immigration reform and, um, other things there. So ABC just as bad as the rest of them, always doing their part for the left, uh, long show. She went over an hour, had a lot to cover, um hope it sounds good, came through okay, I had to break it up a couple times, but um have the right equipment, so we should be fine. Thanks for listening in. I'm gonna to try to be back tomorrow. I'll definitely be back a couple times this week. Take care of yourselves, God bless, and we will talk to you soon.